0: Church, you are getting a preacher who hasn't preached since Christmas Day. Are you ready? This is like, I have had holiday, I have no reason to lack energy, I am pumped to preach tonight. Can you say, make your move? Good. Who needs to make some moves this year? You, you, you've got to make a move in your, you've got to make a move to get a girlfriend, get a boyfriend, I don't know. You've got to make a move to get a job that you want. I don't know, you've got to make a move. It's a good thing. Life is about the moves we make and how we navigate those moves. Once a year, my family make a move. We literally move once a year. We move from our house to a campsite. It's a big thing. Don't laugh. Some of you if you haven't done it, you don't know. It is a massive move. This year, we threw in the complication of borrowing Henry's caravan, and I had to learn how a caravan works, and I was so intimidated, I got home on Christmas night with the caravan or the night before, locked in my car, I couldn't get it off. I couldn't get the caravan off the tow bar. It was a whole process, but part of taking my three children, commonly known as savages, um, holiday, just affectionately, obviously, is a whole bunch of planning a whole bunch of preparation, a whole bunch of strategic, intentional planning laid out, and then there's the day of actually packing. It's a big day. For us, it was Christmas Eve church, Christmas church, and Christmas Day we're packing, because on Boxing Day we're going, and that's the plan. And at about 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock when we still hadn't left... And um, something of, I tied something down on the back of my car and that decided to snap. So I needed to go at something. So we're three hours late and my gracious wife, she doesn't really walk. She kind of slides. She just like, she slid over to me and Grace said, looking so good. I said, thank you. She said, should we maybe go tomorrow? No, we are going. There was a plan. There was a move to be made. We had a plan. And I would say that life's no different. We make plans, we are intentional, we, we make strategic plans that get us places that change environments, change things, and God's calling us to make those plans and to make a move. But I want to speak about a man who got given an incredible opportunity to lead a nation, a man named King David, a man I love speaking about because he was a worshiper, and I don't think he was a super complicated man, I think he just loved the presence of God. But he had a massive mandate, and this was the mandate. He took over from a king who had lost his way. That king was named King Saul. That king had come in by the grace of God into a position, and he became arrogant in that position. He became fleshly. He took it upon himself. He started pushing the voice of God out of a story. He pushed the word of God out of the story, and it didn't go well for the people of God. It ended terribly. He took his own life, and he... Wasn't leading anymore. He didn't have influence anymore. He died separated from God. And, and a terrible thing. But God raises up a man named David and releases David to lead. And I think if you want to know, let's go back to camping for a minute. Are you still with me? If you want to know how to camp, spend time and humbly ask questions from good campers. It's just a simple thing, really. So it takes a little bit of humility takes a bit of strategic intent, and, and I went to my neighbor, Keith, and I said, Keith, when you camp, how do you map out your campsite? Because we're there for 11 days. You've got to map this thing out properly. He starts talking about the moon and the sun, how the sun moves, and you've got to position your camp so that the sun doesn't fall on your fridge and like how you navigate. And then he starts saying, but the view, you've got to factor in the view, you've got to factor in the road and the traffic. I'm like, this is higher grade camping. But I want to learn and I want to do it well, so I'm going to learn from someone who's had success in camping. But in life, we've got to learn from people who've had success in following God and seeing His kingdom come. This King David, he led the people of Israel into the greatest era they'd ever known called the golden era of the Israelites. Their borders were pushed back. Their enemies were pushed back. They saw economic reform. They influenced the world, and they were pulled back to a people who worshipped and knew their God. I want that. So when I read the Bible, I look at him and I look at his life. I say, God, show me how this man chose to make his moves to lead a nation into fruitfulness and successful Christian living because I want that too. I want it for my life. I want the godly ambitions. I want success in them. I want success for my marriage. I want success for my family. I want success for you. I want you to be able to look back at 2020 and say, I took a hold of God. I took a hold of his word. And because of that, I saw success. In my life, this is not a "you can do it" preach. This is a, how does God lead His people into more? And uh, so I love David. I love speaking about his life and the how he navigated his life. But the context is this: One Chronicles ten. If you haven't read Chronicles lately, it's very cool. One Chronicles ten, we see Saul takes his own life. It's chaos. 1 Chronicles 11, David gets anointed king. He gets released as king. And the mighty men, these mighty warriors who have been trained in battle, join him. In 1 Chronicles 12, it says the warriors come and join him. And it starts labeling these warriors and giving their names. And it says they could could shoot the bow with their left hand and their right hand. They could operate many different ways. They were prepared for battle. They were prepared for war. They were ready. Why? Because there was an expectation on David, this warrior king. Remember, what was his first claim to fame? Goliath. He slayed Goliath. He is the warrior guy. He's the 16-year-old who in battle stepped up and killed a Goliath. Now we get a new king. Our old king lost the way, but we get a new king. He's a warrior king. The warriors come together. There's an expectation on David to go to battle, to drive back the enemies, to take back the lands that they've stolen, to bring vengeance to our enemies. That's the expectation. Maybe even at the start of 2020, there's some expectation on you right now. There probably is. It comes with being human. There's expectations by your bank, maybe, to pay a bond. There's expectations around your peer group to be successful. There's expectations to love your family well. There's expectations on many different levels. And David had all those same expectations on him. And he gets this opportunity to lead a nation. And the whole nation says, let's go Let's win the battle. Let's win the fight. But I read the Bible quite simply, to be honest. Often when I preach, people come and like that was so amazing. Man, not really, it's just in the Bible. I'm being serious, it's there. And 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 when we read the Bible with the Spirit of God show us mindset, we get pulled into some of the stories and some of the wisdom that is there for us to feed on and find life in. I want to take you to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. And the first thing is David had all these expectations. I would say the first thing he did when he made his move is this. He brought God back into the center. Not complicated. I'll show you. It's in the Bible. 1 Chronicles 13 verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He said to them, to the whole of the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word of far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and past lands to come and join us. Let's just stop there. This is his opening speech. Now, I don't know if you've seen presidents elected. Their first speech is a statement. It's a statement to the future. It's a statement that can potentially build confidence in an ailing nation, the promises made in those statements pull people with hope into greatness, into the next possibility. This is his opening statement. This is King David, his opening statement, and he's going, come. All you guys over there, come. All the people back there, come. We're coming together. The warriors are coming together. And you can just imagine all the warriors in the background. Ah, we're going to kill those Philistines, those, and they're just getting pumped because David's calling everyone because there's expectation on him and his first action to be one of war. But this is... His unexpected move. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to the people. David's first act as king was so revolutionary it would have shocked everyone. I can just imagine the, the shock and the horror. People saying, But what about economic reform? Good point. What about taking back the boundaries? Good point. What about bringing, bringing, uh, doing all the wrongs that have been done to us and making them right? And David just says, guys, we're going to get back to God in our midst. He says, in the time of Saul, we put God out in the desert. See, the Ark of the Covenant was the very presence of God in the middle of his people. Jesus hadn't come yet. There wasn't the ability to have the Spirit of God inside of us. So God said, I'm going to put my spirit with man. I'm going to put it in the Ark of the Covenant everywhere you go. And every time the people of God went anywhere... With the Ark of the Covenant at the center, they had success. But when they took the Ark, the presence of God, and they got arrogant and proud, and they put God on the outside of their camp, and in the desert, things went poorly. David says this, we're going to rescue the Ark of the Covenant from the wilderness. We're going to come, we're going to put in a tent right in the middle. We're going to hire 4,288 singers, worship leaders. We're going to hire them full-time to lead worship 24-7, Right next to the center and the capital of life, and, and, and we're going to place them there, and we are going to be a people who worship. And here's what it's going to be it's going to cost, in today's context, a million dollars. You can just imagine someone like the dudes at the back like, came there to fight. They're like sharpening the sword, going, uh, What? See, but David wasn't living under the expectations, often like we do, of man, of circumstance. Of situation, of trial, of failures, of disappointments. David was someone who learned how to write victories out in the fields as a shepherd, singing songs of praise to the King of glory. And David knew that that was the only reason he defeated Goliath. David knew that, that was the only reason he survived the years that Saul chased him. He, he knew that. So he comes and every expectation is shouting. He says, No, guys. We've got to get back to what makes us amazing is the fact that we are a chosen people loved by Almighty mighty God. And when we put God at the center of everything we do, right next to the economic centers and the political centers, when we place God there and we hear his praise over everything we do, I promise you, we will see the greatest success we'll e- we've ever seen. And he was right. He was right. He was right. See, David brought the people of God into alignment with the value system of heaven rather than something of the economy of earth, which is survival, fight, take ground. Now, he brings them back into something of heaven. He says, we want to see heaven. Well, let's buy into heaven's ways. Let's make heaven's moves. I want to help us position because I know there's decisions to be made. I look across this room and there's lots of young people. There's decisions to be made. And they are big decisions. They have big implications. And I want to tell you the word is not silent on how we make those decisions. See, I said it earlier, but Saul had done two terrible things. He had neglected the word to the point that, that Samuel, the prophet, who called him in, he prophesied twice. And Paul rejected, Saul rejected him twice. And the implications of those rejections of the word of God had massive implications for the people of God. Negative. And then he not just did that, he he totally neglected the presence of God. He allowed the Ark of the Covenant to stay out in the desert, outside of the people of God, away from the center of the people of God. And when he did that, what happens? Well, when you take God out of the center of our worship, we start worshiping other things. Because we are worship vacuums. We will find something to worship. And if we're not worshiping Jesus and fixated on Jesus with our eyes, we will find other things to worship, first and foremost, ourselves. And God says, no. And David knew something that a lot of people didn't. See, this year maybe started with a bang. You've got new jobs, a a new health desire, a 10-week keto diet, six-pack regime. I don't know. Um, Maybe that's your thing. Maybe work and church is busy and life is busy. I don't think it's more busy than a king with a nation to turn around, with people with expectations. I See, I just don't think it's busier. I want to ask a question in your story as you make your moves. Where's the word and where's his presence? It's not complicated. The gospel's not complicated. God says, I I want to be at the center. If I'm God, the Lord of all creation, I want to be at the center. See, a thousand things are shouting for your world and mine. And David's first move is to bring the presence of God back into the center of God's people. I think we've got to learn from that. I think we've got to understand that even though it had implications and opportunity cost and financial cost, hiring all those worshipers, all those singers, all the musicians, putting it all up together, constructing would have had an estimation of one Bible scholar said about a billion dollars and maintenance of about $30 million monthly. And many could have gone, what a waste of money, David. But years later, 33 years later, they would have looked at her, "Thank you God. you brought a leader who put your presence at the middle of everything, at the center of everything, and we as a people bought into paying a price to pursue your presence. And uh, as you navigate your life, see, David didn't put the practical things first. He put God first. God wants to be first. Maybe you're a business owner, and you're under pressure, and you're looking down the barrel of a year of retrenchments. Put God first. Maybe you're struggling, and last year with your studies was a struggle, and you're not sure you're going to make it through the year. Put God first. I'm just showing you a strategy of a great king, a king who saw incredible success, because I want you to see success in God. And this king, in the natural, should have fought a battle with human hands and swords. He chose to put God first. Secondly, I want to tell you this, his strategy, and again, I'm just reading the Bible. That's 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians Chronicles. Thank you. Just testing, and you alone passed. <laughs> Get that lady a coffee, please, after service. I reject that. But 1 Chronicles 14, the very next chapter, what's David's next action? It says this. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about him and went out to meet them. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go, I will deliver them into your hands. So David and his men went to Baal Perizim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies, by my hand. So that place was called Baal Perizim. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, and David gave orders to burn them in the fire. Welcome to the Bible. Once more, the Philistines raided the valley. So David inquired of the Lord again, and God answered him, Do not go directly after them. But circle around them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching on the tops of the poplar trees, move out to battle, Because that will mean God has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as God commanded him. And they struck down the Philistine army all the way to Gibeon, to Giza. So David's fame spread throughout every land. And the Lord made all nations fear him. Who were the Philistines? They were the age-old enemy of the Israelites. They had always been their enemy. They were always there. They were always attacking. Who did David defeat? Goliath, a Philistine. These were the enemy that had been around for many decorations. And the first thing David does when he gets main king, decorations is the thing, Christmas decorations. We still have them, Josh. Decorations, generate. it's been a long day. We're going with decorations. Can someone please escort this man out of here? Generations, people, stay with the program. But these guys had been their enemies for generations. First thing David does: bring the presence of God into the center. Second thing he does, and I love the confidence of this, and I want to encourage us as we make our move this year. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force to see. They sent the A team, the B team, the C team, everyone. They sent everyone in full force to see David. But David heard about it and went out to meet them. He just goes out to meet them. He doesn't send someone else in case they get killed. This is David. He is confident in that God had placed him in this role to be king at this time. He puts the presence of God at the center. He says, God, you are with me, and he goes out to meet them. Will you go out to face your enemies this year? What about enemies like apathy? Will you face it? What about enemies like disappointment and pain from the past? Will will you face it? Will you go out to face it? Not send someone else, not hide behind some excuses and self-justification. Will you go out to face it? Because when I look at David's life, if I see it as something of a strategy for life and success in God's stories in our life, we're called to go out and face it. Our enemies. I love it. It carries on. Said, David asked the question. He says, now the Philistines had come and raided the valley. So David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, go, I will deliver them into your hands. Let's just process this. He's the king who defeated Goliath as a 16-year-old. He's the guy the mighty men have come to serve. He's the guy the warriors have gathered around. The army is around. The expectation of the nation is we are going to drill the Philistines. And David goes, I'm just going to ask God. You see, I I think too often we get too arrogant. We've maybe won a a victory, a battle along the way. And so we think, well, I don't need to ask God. We make some assumption and presumption and we call it faith. Rather than faith, which is, God, this is your battle. Should I go and fight them? I don't know if you see something there. I see humility. I see something powerful. I see something dependent on the almighty king of kings. And they get the victory. But I love it. Immediately, the silly Philistines, they didn't learn. They come back again. They attack again. And what does David do again? Again? He asks, but this time God doesn't say, you just go with your strategy. God says, go stand around the poplar trees, and when you hear the winds of the troops in the tops of the trees, know that I've gone before you, and I will give you victory. And David, what does he do? Now God, we don't need the poplar trees. No, he inquires of God, and then he listens. See, we start justifying and making plans saying, God, you gave us victory in other ways. I look at the greatest king that this earth was ever given outside of Jesus and the strategy for making his move. He puts God in the center, and then what does he do? He asks God, and he listens. And he positions himself for victory upon victory and to take a nation. You see, how are you you facing debt in your life? I'm talking financial, emotional, relational, whatever it is. How are you facing that enemy? Maybe it's been around for years. Are you facing it? Or you shoved it away in a corner or hidden away. No, the Bible says you want a strategy to make your move. Face it. Go out and meet it. And then ask God for the way to defeat it. Because there is no enemy that can stand against the Almighty God. And we either believe that or we don't. Lastly, and quite simply, again, 1 Chronicles 13 he puts him at God at the center. 1 Chronicles 14, he faces his enemy and trusts God. 1 Chronicles 15, another strategy. He's, and I, I want to paraphrase a little bit. He constructs the buildings and puts the ark in the middle, and, and he calls the Levites to worship. I want to jump into verse 26. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of the units of a thousand went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord, seven bulls and rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and as were the musicians and Kenaniah who was in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. It jumps. I want to jump to the, the same text and the same story being told in Samuel. It speaks of David saying, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Jump back into Chronicles. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of all symbols, and the people of playing liars, and the playing of lyres and harps. We should bring that back to church. As the ark of the covenant was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. I don't want to focus on Michael. I want to focus on this king who puts God back in the center who faces his enemy, his age-old enemy, generational enemy, people's enemy, and then lastly, he worships God. He doesn't just worship God in private. He chooses the most public moment the nation's ever known, the coronation moment, the moment they're unveiling this temple of worship, and his grand narrative is being unveiled for a people's future. He chooses that moment to take off the robes that he has been given, the robes that Saul probably wore with pride. Put badges all over. I don't know what they do in those days. Fancy. David chooses to take off those robes, take off the status of a king and worship as a priest in his linen ephod. He chooses to humble himself before a nation, and he says to the heart of a nation, we will no longer be a people who will put God on the outside. We will be a people who will worship the living God with passion and truth and exuberance. That's who we will be. And when we are those people, we will see success we will defeat our enemies. We will push back economic lines. We will have impact and restoration and reformation. We'll see all those things. But the strategy is not complicated. Put God back in the center. Face your enemies and worship the living God. David. I love Psalm 24. It's probably written as he's ascending the hill with the priest carrying the ark of the, the covenant, calling people into this praise of worship. He's declaring that that the Lord, everything is the earth and everything in it. And I want to jump to the end as he makes the statement: "Lift up your heads, you gates; lift, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in." I want to I want to say he wasn't just speaking to a nation and putting some some. Practical pictures on lift up gates of the king. No, he's speaking to the hearts of a nation. He's saying in your heart, will you lift up the gates so the king of glory can come in? He's speaking to your heart and to my heart in the busyness of our world, in the expectations of our world. Will you lift up the gates so the king of glory can come in? The gates of pain and disappointment and all the things that hold them on the outside. Because we think we've got it all together. We lift up the gates. See, make your move at the start of 2020, a new decade. I'm so excited for the future of our church. And we, as we take these 21 years, we look back. That's why we're calling the church at this time to do something a bit different, a bit radical. Maybe you're sitting here going, that is nuts. We're not calling you to 21 days of water fasting. You will struggle. <laughs> But we'll clarify next week and the week after as we have two Sundays before we fast, what it'll look like and what we want to call the church. But you know what? revival starts when people fast and pray. Cities and nations change when people are called and they respond to a radical, wild, doesn't make sense call to fast and pray. See, David's strategy for the nation of bring God into the center didn't make sense, wasn't practical, but it brought revival to a dying nation. We need revival. God's got to start with us. And I'm telling you, when we put other things aside and we put other focuses and worships, things we worship in our life aside, we say, God, we're going to focus on you amidst the chaos of our lives. We're going to choose you. We're going to place you at the center. That people will see radical things. I love Psalm 24. It puts it this way. Where's that scripture? Verse 6. Verse 5. They will receive blessing from the Lord. Who wants blessing? And vindication from God, their Savior. I want that. Such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. See, it's not just for everyone. You're going to just hang out at church, and you're going to stumble into the successful Christian life. I don't think that's how it works. But it's also not complicated. And David gives us a model as this king. He says, in the busyness of life and the expectations I live under, that you will live under too. Number one, put God at the center. Maybe for you personally, it's your time. It's your focus. It's your attention. It's reading the word of God for yourself. Maybe it's doing together in a 21-day fast and trusting God to heal an amazing lady named Suzanne who's in hospital right now and needs a touch of heaven to save her life. Maybe you want to be a part of that fight. That's what I want to give my life to. I want to trust God for miracles. See, King David, when a king can prioritize the presence of God, I I think we can. Secondly, he faces his enemies. Why or how? You step out and then inquire of God. A lot of Christians hiding in church sometimes, maybe even hiding in life, saying, "God, God, you get my enemies, I'll just praise you. And I don't think that's what God shows us. He shows us a man. A king, a worshiper who steps out and faces his enemies and then inquires of God. And secondly, worship God. Worship God. I, I'm not talking just on a Sunday. That's part of it. But worship God. When you lost someone you love this week and you got no other answers and you can't answer all the questions, worship God. And that's Jess, and her mom lost her husband this week. And her mom, Janine, sat in that chair this morning and worshiped God. Why? Because she has a future, and she has promises in the living God. And her husband, Ron, is with the king with full confidence and assurance. We know that. So she can sit there and she can make a decision, a strategy for life and abundance to worship God. Will you make the same decision? You see, David, was he crazy or inspired? hiring 4,288 worshipers, calling the king, calling people. Well, time tells us and history tells us and the Bible tells us he was the greatest king that ever lived. The greatest. Can we stand together? I I want to give you something of a charge for this year. I want to give you something of a, a challenge from this life, this story, this man's life and story who we love to speak about for good reason. Jesus chose to come in his line. But I want success for you. And I want success for me. I want success for my family. But the Bible says success is not going to come by choosing your own way. Humble yourself. Surrender. I look around, there's young people with promises. And in the natural, you could do amazing things. And on your own, and your own ability, you could probably achieve amazing, amazing things. But partnering with the living God. You'll see miracles. You'll see mountains move. You'll see the impossible made possible. You'll live the dreams. And it's on the other side of a few simple things. Put God at the center. Face Your enemies, even the ones that have been around a long time, and worship God. I learned to worship as a 14, 15-year-old school kid in a house in Glenwood doing all-night prayer meetings that I didn't know what I was doing there, and my mates thought I was nuts. But I learned to worship God and to pursue Him and every man and woman's got to go on that journey and nations have to go on that journey but when we go on that journey we'll see miracles there'll be challenges David had challenges David stumbled but he died a man who knew his God he died a kingdom on the other side extended and full of life I I want that to be my story I want it to be your story can we close our eyes and if you're here tonight and you're saying, actually, I, I want God's ways. See, when you choose God's ways, you get heaven's results. If you're there and I'm putting my hand up, will you lift your hands with me tonight and say, I want heaven's results in my life. I pray, Spirit of God, for every person tonight. Give us the courage to put you at the center to declare to our souls and the world around us that only you, Jesus, satisfy our souls, that only you, Father, are the one who satisfies my every part, that only you, Spirit of God, can lead us to life and life abundant and show us the Father. Give us courage for that journey. Then allow us and give us courage and power to face enemies. Face your enemies and defeat them. Lacking confidence, face your enemies face and inquire of God and lastly worship him, praise him, which means taking some other things that would present themselves as worship worthy in our lives and saying, you're not. There's only one. His name is Jesus. And when other things rise up, bring insecurity and pain, just declare there is only one. His name is Jesus. And he is worthy of all praise. All honor, all glory, praise the King of kings. He is worthy. I pray your blessing upon your people, God. I pray your favor upon your people, God. I I lift up the young people and the older people in this life who have moves to make. And I pray, Spirit of God, anoint and lead and show and guide and have your way and have all the glory. King Jesus.